Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here and on this week's podcast we're going to be chatting with Jacob Cass about building a personal brand. Before we get into the interview, I do want to give a big shout out to the sponsor of this podcast, FreshBooks. Now, FreshBooks is a cloud accounting software that makes it really easy to create and send professional looking invoices in seconds. To try it out for yourself with a free unrestricted 30 day trial, all you need to do is visit freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about us section this week we're chatting with jacob cass who's best known for his website and blog just creative where he offers logo design branding and web design services with clients including disney and nintendo I've known of Jacob for a very long time and have been reading his blog and following him on social media for most of my professional career. He's both a talented designer as well as a very savvy online marketeer and was one of the key people who inspired me to start my own uh, design business. His blog is very high value, so I recommend checking out if you're keen to learn more about the design world. Now, I've got Jacob on as a guest to talk about building a personal brand. Is he someone who has done that very well and has been incredibly successful as a result of that? We also chat about his recent world travels. Over the past couple of years, he's been touring the globe whilst working as a freelance designer. So we talk in detail how he's been able to do that. So I introduce you to Jacob Cass, where we kick off the discussion talking about personal branding. Personal branding allows you to stand out in the market with a purpose and strategy in mind. So I'm going to talk to you a bit about how I've done that for the past 10 years using my business, um, Just Creative, and we can go from there. So so yeah, about 10 years ago, I started uh, my business called Just Creative Design, which I've just recently rebranded to Just Creative. And this has been my personal blog, my business, uh, where I've had my portfolio and where I write about articles on design, creativity, branding, logo design, social media, so forth. And really the site has been, I guess, the home of my personal brand. But my brand is really everywhere on the web, on the web from Twitter to Facebook and so forth. So I guess to put it into perspective of you creating your own brand, um, you need to keep in mind what your goals are. Uh, is it to get a job at an agency, a startup? Is it to be able to freelance and travel the world? So these are things to have in your mind when you're establishing your own personal brand because it, this can dictate look and feel, um, how you communicate. Are you an illustrator? Are you a designer? Do you practice? Uh, are you a web designer? Are you a developer? These are all going to have different strategies. So always keep that in mind. My perspective when I'm talking about this, I'm a graphic designer. I specialize in branding, logo design, uh, and interactive design. So just keep that in mind. Um, In terms of my blog, uh, I created my blog uh, for a way of uh, recording my studies at university. And through that, uh, it was kind of opened a can of worms to this whole blogging world. And that's how I started establishing my own brand. And... I learned about using things like a consistent um, profile image, language, the fonts, colors, and all of that. And that's really dictated everything moving forward. 
I totally agree with you that consistency is key. I know I frequently chat with uh, quite a lot of people online and when they change their profile image, it really confuses me as I I no recognize I I no longer recognize them and it's almost like they changed their face. Um I love how you've uh, been consistent with your images for years and I've been inspired by that and um I've actually been doing the the same and it's worked for me. Um so to to steer the discussion a, a little i know one big thing that people struggle with when building a personal brand is is coming up with a name and i know that you've been consistently using just creative uh, rather than your own name what's the reason for doing that is, and is is there a story behind it yeah there, there is a story behind it actually when i was studying in high school i didn't really know about graphic design i was kind of photoshop was a hobby and i started like a, a side gig and like this the website was called jack cast productions like jackass productions which uh, okay. i found out was a terrible name but as a teenager that was a good name <laughs> um so then i started brainstorming names and like using my initials using my name and i ended up coming down to just creative because it used my initials and it was well it was actually just creative design at the time um but then later i bought the domain just creative and went shortened it but yeah, it was just a bit of a play on my, my initials and um, it, it worked for me. And it was also a way to, okay, I guess, distance itself, distance myself from just, just Jacob Kress, Jacob Cass. Um, Cause I was, I was more than just, um, it's just more than my portfolio. It was like a blog and a brand. And I wanted to have some flexibility in the future to use this um, brand name for other things. And that kind of paid off because a few years ago I launched um, my travel blog with my wife, just globetrotting, and there's plenty of other op- um, plenty of other opportunities out there with this brand name. So that was the strategy behind me. But in terms of everyone else, it, it may be a little bit different. Maybe you don't have a blog that you want to keep consistent. Maybe it is just you. So keep that in mind. And there's nothing wrong with it. You can own your name. Maybe if it's like a very regular name, John Smith or something, you can create something a little bit more unique but if you have a, a unique name own it and um or if, if your strategy is to to have a studio then explore other options so just keep it open yeah i think what you said earlier is key to this um if you know what your goals are uh that will heavily influence what you do uh, right from the point of creating a name uh, now, I, I want to talk about creating a logo for your personal brand. Every designer that I've ever met has really struggled with this. Is there any advice that you can give uh, for the people out there who are currently working on uh, a logo for their uh, business or personal brand? Designing for your help yourself is very hard. Um, everyone knows it, but it comes back to that strategy before. Like, If you have that unique name, um, a lot of beginning, beginner designers, they'll They'll try to come up with like a, a logo mark or a unique symbol when like their name may be unique enough. You don't need to have a unique symbol all of the time. You could just have a logo type, so a, type, a logo made out of type. And often designers overthink it too much. You choose a typeface that uh, suits your your goals and your and your future brand. And maybe you can do a little bit of customization, but don't overthink it. It's um, it's the full brand that you sh- image that you should be thinking about. So this, this style, um, if you're an illustrator, like is it a creative, are you a children's book illustrator? And it's going to be a different style to someone who's working in corporate, um, which is a little bit where I'm a bit more focused, but um, not totally corporate, but anyway. 
that's just what you should keep in mind in terms of creating your own brand differentiate yourself from others what what makes you unique what's your style and how can you communicate that through um, your website your your logo and on social media what's your tone of voice so these are all things to keep in mind when you're, you're talking about the personal branding this is fantastic advice. I, I imagine that it's really helped a lot of people who are currently working on their own logos and are struggling with it. So thank you for that. Now, I know that your website and blog has been fundamental to your business and personal brand. And um, I, I personally believe that any designer, uh, whatever your personal goals are, um, I think that you should have a website of some kind. So based on your experience, what would you recommend a designer include on their website? Yeah, there's, there's definitely some um, key elements you need on a website. Obviously, information about yourself, what you do, your services, uh, your work uh, in, um, on your portfolio, show it in context. Uh, maybe you have uh, a contact page or at least a contact section. That's uh, the most crucial thing. And then if you wanted to uh, have like a news section or a blog, this is a way for people to keep um, updated with your work. Um, you can share your tutorials, tips, or advice to sh- give you credibility and to show that you have the skills to help clients out. Because clients are coming to you for advice, um, depending if you're a designer or developer or whatever, they're coming to you for a reason. So show, show off what you can do. And that, that may be through... Um, testimonials. It could be through different logos where, uh, of clients you've worked with. It could just be uh, your work if it that speaks for itself. So these are all things to keep in mind. I also have um, other sections on my site, like a services section, um, an FAQ. I also have a, a questionnaire to help clients um, think about their brand and their goals. And clients appreciate it because they don't often think about uh, these sort of things when they're asking for design or development work and it really helps. So those, those are some things to include on your site. This is great. I, I think what I'll do uh, to save listeners writing this down, I'll make sure to include everything discussed here in the show notes for this episode. And uh, you'll be able to find that at logogeek.uk forward slash 2.5. Now you mentioned about having a questionnaire on your website, um, which visitors need to complete before you uh, contact them. Now, I've seen this done in so many different ways. And uh, personally, I've opted for just a really simple form. What's the reason why you require uh, potential customers to answer detailed questions right from the outset? Yeah, it's funny you ask because I listened to your podcast with Draplin and he has a a different strategy. He doesn't use the questionnaire. He doesn't want to give work to other people. That's great. And the reason he has a shop and he, it works for him. He has very personable. He has an outgoing personality and uh, he can um, talk to clients in his shop and show off his shop. I, am, I have a different strategy because I, I live uh, my life on the road. I'm always traveling. I'm in different time zones. I, I also have a lot of traffic coming to my site because of my blog. So I have a lot of, um, I guess, people that I, uh, I don't want to say low ballers, but they're not my target market. They, they want to have like a, a cheaper a design, a cheaper designer where I'm looking for somewhere in the mid to high range. So this questionnaire is a good uh, vetting form to, to weed out some, some of the low ballers, if you will. And that's the questionnaire helps, helps that. Sure, I lo- may lose some clients, but my goal is to um, 
to work less, charge more, and have more time to work with clients. And that's the questionnaire is a good way of doing that for me. Uh, and that's why I include it. This makes total sense. You've been uh, using it as a filter to make sure that only uh, the best leads make it to your inbox. Um, so with your website, you have a fantastic blog um, and I, that I've been following for years, uh, right back to the start of my career. And I, I noticed that you've been posting very consistently um, during that time, which is incredible. Now, I know from previous interviews that as designers, we need to be blogging and writing content to attract clients and to help with our, our Google search results too. So I, I'd love to know from you, how have you been able to write consistently? Do you have any advice for people like myself who, who really struggle to make time for writing? Yeah, it's, it is it is difficult. And the time management thing is is, is hard for a lot of people. And it's, it's changed over the years. When I first started the blog, it was me writing a lot and I had more time and it's kind of pivoted now where I have less time to write and I'm working more on, with client stuff. So I've had, because I've, had, I've got more domain authority because of the, the posting uh, regularly over the years, I have more guest authors wanting to post on my blog and get a link back to their site, which, which helps me because I get fresh content and it saves me time. I still have to edit and add photos and do the SEO and all of that, but it does help a little bit. So in terms of the context of you blogging, maybe you, you have a writer or you hire a writer who could uh, do some content marketing for you and you do your own, uh, maybe once or once a fortnight if, if that's enough for you or once a week. But these days, longer form content uh, is definitely going to get more um, search results, um, high rankings. So maybe it's even less than that if that's all the time you have, but just make it a really high quality article and do it on something that hasn't been spoke about much. So you can rank higher uh, for certain keywords and it's a, a resource that maybe other people haven't written about yet. So that's something to consider in, in terms of time management. <laughs> we all want more time, but uh, I, I'm quick at design and um, ideation. So that helps me. Um, I'm also quite productive and that helps. Um, I don't know if that is there's certain apps and short keyboard shortcuts and all of that, that helps and there's tons and tons of articles and productivity. So give that a research. I'm not here to, to rant about that, but um, there, there are ways to cut corners and speed up your workflow. I'm reasonably productive myself, but I'm definitely going to have a look uh, to see what's out there um, because I'm, I'm keen to, to maximize my time. <laughs> So in terms of writing, I'm, I'm well aware that it's not just a case of what you write, but how you write as well. And I know from reading your blogs for years now that you're very savvy when it comes to search marketing. So is there any advice that you can give to help us write better content that will help us reach higher positions on Google? Yeah, good SEO, it's, it's difficult if we're for beginners because you do need a lot of content. You need links back to your site before you're even going to start to rank or even get on the first page. So it's kind of like uh, the chicken or egg thing here. So it, it is important to, to network, get people to link to your site, talk to your friends, other blogs, and um, or do guest articles on other sites first just so you can get some domain authority, uh, which means that your um, search in Google will, or search engines will uh, think your website is um, authoritative and will... Um, therefore rank you higher in search and 
engine rankings. That was a mouthful, sorry. Um, uh, and in terms of blogging consistently and um, writing, it, it really depends on what you're after here because if you just want traffic to your site, that's one thing. If you want exposure for your work or if you want clients, that's another thing. Uh, if you're wanting clients, you could talk about your, your process because this is a good case study to show potential clients or clients that you may have in your pocket or half in your pocket. You can show them this case study or uh, process of your work to show you behind the scenes. That's, that's really cool and interesting. To, and it, it communicates the value that you're, you're putting into your work. So that's a good place to start. And then maybe you have some favorite resources um, that you use or like that. Uh, and that could be useful for uh, other people, designers, or potential clients, depending on what the resources are. So there's always places to start, tips, um, tutorials, process, and go from there. Just start. Just start. That's the biggest thing. I totally agree with that. I, I know when I started writing myself, some of my early blog posts were really bad and I've since uh, taken them down or I've uh, rewrote that content again. So it's actually, um, actually makes some sense. Now, as at school, as a kid, uh, I, I needed extra support to help with my written English, but um, I found that as I've got older, the more that you do something, the better that you get at it. And by just doing, as you mentioned, now my articles are good enough to be featured on sites such as uh, Creative Block, which um, I, I hope is a, a good example of, you know, by doing, you actually get better. So I, I totally agree with you that just starting really matters. Definitely. And there's, there's definitely techniques online, um, which are simple in theory when you talk about it, but first time bloggers may not know about it, just how you format a, a post with the, the header tags, large and subsection bullet points to, because people scan these days, they don't, they don't read uh, a lot of imagery uh, and little snippets of information. So that's a good way to, to think about it. Really great advice. So I know that social networking has also been a big part of your personal brand. And once again, you've been consistently posting um, on a daily basis on, uh, you know, lots of different social platforms. I know this probably falls into time management, as you've already mentioned, but is there any advice that you can give to help uh, listeners also post on a consistent basis as you have been? Like, is there any useful tools or methods that you've been using? Yeah, so I, I do post a few times a day and I have some tools. I, I'm quite active on Twitter and I have everything set up from that goes to my Twitter to go to my Facebook so I don't have to do it twice. Uh, I also use a tool called Buffer, uh, which is a huge time saver, which connects all your social profiles into to one, um, I guess, post. And you just you can press it once and it does it, it sends it to all your profiles and actually puts everything into a queue for you. And it does it at the time that uh, is best for your follower, your audience. So, for example, a lot of my, even though I'm Australian, I, I live here, most of my audience is in the States. So I have uh, my buffer, um, I guess, buffers my tweets, if you will, uh, to put them into the right time slot that's going to post in states and, and maybe London or the UK, right? And that's a huge that's a huge thing to know when your audience is live and when you're going to get the most retweets or shares. So that's the main tool I use. And how I get content is through Twitter lists, through email newsletters, and websites. Um, another tool I use is Panda, um, which is like a Chrome extension. Um, I'm sure I could work in other browsers and 
it has access to many different, uh, it's kind of like an aggregator of different news and uh, websites out there, which you can get content. And there's no lack of content on the web these days. So if you're looking for content, uh, shame on you. It's all out there. Um, just make sure you have a strategy behind what you're sharing and give value to your audience. So that's really what's been working for me. And yeah. I've been using a similar strategy and it's worked for me too. Now, I, I noticed with your um, reply that you seem to be very aware of where your audience are actually located. How do you know that? Is there some kind of uh, tool that you're using to, to know that information? Uh, I look on, well, through my website, I can tell the current countries just Google Analytics. And uh, Buffer is also, I think it was Buffer, it can tell you the audience uh, differences. I, I think, I can't remember. I did it a while ago when I was figuring out the times. But um, there are there are certain analytics tools that I think can scan your followers if they've set the location in, in their Twitter. Um, Facebook also, when you're doing the ads, like you can break down um, where your audience is from uh, or target where your audience is from. So pretty, a bit of a vague answer, but there are, I, I believe, Twitter or um, Buffer. Sure. I, I think what I'll do is if I find anything useful, I'll, I'll add it into the show notes because I like how you've been able to use that to your advantage um, so that you can actually make uh, uh, the most of your post. So I'll, I'll see what I can find and I'll, I'll add it into the show notes for this episode. I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks who have been kind enough to sponsor this podcast and allow me to make it possible. FreshBooks makes it really easy to create and send invoices to your clients to make sure you get paid. There's no formatting and you can add your own logo and color scheme too to make sure that your invoices reflect your brand. Another cool feature is that you can actually see when your clients have seen your invoices too, so there's no more guessing. It'll also send automated late payment reminders too, saving you from any of those awkward conversations that no one ever wants to have. It was also recently redesigned from the ground up too, so now it looks absolutely beautiful. It's really easy to use too. So for me, as a designer, that's something that matters, and I'm sure it will to you too. If you're listening now and you've not yet tried FreshBooks for yourself, now is the time to do it because FreshBooks is offering you a free, unrestricted 30-day trial, no credit card required. All you need to do is visit freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about us section now let's get back to that interview over the past few years you've been traveling the world whilst working freelance and um, I think this is incredible and anyone that doesn't know your story you have to go and check out Jacob's web website at uh, justglobetrotting.com um, every time I, I look at your photos uh, I feel very envious and I know I'm not alone in this so I'd love to know um, I'd love to know how you've been able to do this as it sounds like a dream position to be in <laughs> It's 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 hard it's hard to look at that as a beginner and you're like how do they get there what are they doing and wanted to talk about the backstory of how how to, how I got there or how anyone else got to that position it doesn't come just overnight and um, the backstory of me was that I, I was studying at uni I got offered a job in um, through Twitter I was studying in Sydney then moved to New York I worked there for five years at an agency so I wasn't traveling the world then 
And I was through that time, I was freelancing, running my blog, getting clients, getting my name out there, um, establishing myself as a designer, really learning the chops of agency life and also freelancing. So there's a lot of learning curves along the, that time. And it's not like I just went straight out to, to go travel the world and freelance, but saying that it's also very possible to go out and do that. If you go to a very, um, economically friendly place such as Southeast Asia, which, uh, is very affordable and you can actually live for quite cheap, um, with accommodation, rent, um, fast Wi-Fi, and all of that. And it's, um, some places that come to mind like Chiang, Chiang Mai in Thailand or Koh Lanta, uh, in Thailand as well. These are some of my favorite places that we visited that had that for that accessibility. And you can go out there and you don't have to travel the world. You can just go to that one place, explore that area, um, see what it, you like about living life on the road. Can you actually work? Are you getting clients? Um, is it possible to do it? And you'll soon find out it is, it's easier than people think. And it's actually more affordable to live um, on the road in these places than the big cities, especially London, New York, San Fran, all of that. The expenses are ridiculous. And um, yes, if you have a full-time job there, it's, uh, you can, it's kind of balances out. But if you're freelancing, it's, it's a little more tough. So these are things to, to keep in mind. So I also, when I got on the road, um, it was about two and a half years ago, I left the agency and we started traveling. We did Europe for the first um, about six months and that just blew through our savings. Like we had saved money to do that, but it's expensive there and um, drinking is also expensive. <laughs> but uh, once, you, once you get out of these big, big, big cities and you go somewhere more affordable, it's much more. Um, it's much easier to do. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. So where is it you're staying? Like, are you, are you using hostels or B&Bs or are you renting some kind of accommodation for a length of time? Yeah, so that changes depending on where we are. Uh, I'm, I'm always traveling with my wife. So we, depending on where we are, like Europe is very expensive. Um, we, we, we're doing hostels there, for example. Uh, and even that is like, what, 30 to 40 euros uh, for a bed. So you're paying upwards of like 100, 100 US dollars a night for a hostel. So it's quite ridiculous. But then for the same price in Asia, you could be living in a resort, you know? So it's, 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 you have to keep that in mind. And, but yeah, it changes. Where in, in Asia, we're, we're, uh, we're going pretty, pretty smooth. We're doing mid range hotels and, Sometimes we'll doing we'll stay in there for weeks at a time. For example, um, in, we stay, we love Barcelona, so we would stay there for the summer for a, a good six to eight weeks. Whereas um, other places, we wanted to just get in, get out, see the main things, and um, move on. So it, it depends. So whilst you're traveling and exploring places, how are you able to actually um, do the work that's needed? Are, are you working from the place that you're staying in? Yeah. So first off, I have a very organized wife and she does a lot of the travel organization and we do research together on where to stay. Wi-Fi is extremely important. Um, so we're always looking at reviews on TripAdvisor booking, all of that, and do searches for Wi-Fi to ensure that it's fast uh, and that it's reliable. We don't, because we're a couple, we stay in private rooms. We try not to do hostel mixed dorms or anything like that because uh, we found that we Enjoy, we enjoy our sleep much more than saving a few bucks uh, listening to snores. And um, when, when you have a good night's sleep, you're much more productive. You can, um, the, the money, it's just not worth it because the productivity 
better when you have better sleep. And in terms of um, where we work, it, it, it often is just in our room. So it, it's, it's better because you can have the air conditioning, you have a quiet space, um, cafes that often chewed up with uh, the Wi-Fi is chewed up by other people. So we're found working at home with a, um, well, when I say home, the hotel uh, with their Wi-Fi is more reliable. But that, I also work on buses and um, trains and everywhere, wherever you can get a spare moment. And my wife laughs at me because we're going over these like bloody rocky roads and the laptop's jumping up and down. And so I'm like still focused in my zone and she just laughs. But you have to do what you have got to do. This is amazing. It, it sounds like uh, with everything we've spoken about, that it all boils down to time management. And I know from uh, everything you're doing and have done, you're incredibly good at this. Um, and it, it just sounds like if you can manage your time as well as you have, I think anything is is possible. Now, as this podcast is about logos, I'd love to dive into your logo design process to learn more about how you work. Uh, it's, it's a topic that I've spoken about quite a lot on uh, previous episodes, but I found it really valuable to uh, learn from uh, other designers um, because I, I know that earlier you briefly mentioned uh, Aaron Draplin's process and how you work quite differently. So could you talk through your process for working on a logo design? Absolutely. So these days, uh, for clients to find me, that's the, the first crucial step is getting people uh, to hire you. Is I have the, a lot of my work online portfolio. I just show my best work. Um, people, I've found what people resonate with is like the ones that uh, are creative, smart, clever, simple. And that's kind of what I strive for in my logo design work. And I just feature them. Um, I've, I've done hundreds and hundreds of logos, but like, to pick maybe like 30 logos to put in the portfolio is key, uh, the ones that resonate with uh, clients. So after they've, they've been interested in my work, I, I make it very easy for people to contact me on my site. I also have that questionnaire that I talked to you about, and that's kind of the first step. If either they contact me uh, or we have a phone call conversation, but then at the end of the day, I get them to this questionnaire or have a chat on the phone. Uh, that way I have all the information about their business, the target market, uh, everything that's going to help me with the creative process to, to design to a strategy and a goal based on um, the answers and our conversation. So that's the most important thing because otherwise you're just designing really nilly and it's, it's, a, it's just a piece of it's a, a graphic. It's not um, to strategy. So after that's all figured out, then the fun begins. I start the creative work. Uh, I do a lot of sketches and then uh, these days I'm doing less sketches. I don't know if that's because I've been working the road and it's just been very bumpy and <laughs> hasn't been as good. But these days uh, I do less sketches and I'm, I'm much more productive working in, on the computer. But I go back and forth with that depending on the client and what, what's, what's needed. And usually I, I, I just go crazy with the, the designs and my artboards look like a crazy mess and there's like hundreds of iterations of like minute little details and that I ended up dwindling it down to maybe five logos at five to eight that I think are like, Hey, these may be the top picks and I'll, I'll send depending on the client, maybe three to five uh, concepts. If they're more abstract logos, maybe uh, some different iterations of them. And I present them into, uh, in a PDF with um, either on a white blank page or in context or both, depending on um, how big the presentation is. And Depending on when, where the client is, if we can have a conversation, I'll talk to them on the phone, talk them through it, 
or do an email blast. Sometimes um, they're not so accessible to talk to. So I'll email them, talk about each work, why we're going to try to sell the design. That's the most important thing uh, when it comes to logo design and branding is talking through your decisions and uh, I guess sell to the client why this design is working and why it's right for their business and goals based on the questionnaire and phone call conversation that you had. And then you go into your revision stage. Um, you can look at fonts, colors, uh, changing the logo, and you repeat that process until um, the final logo has been uh, chosen or designed. And from there, we start building out the, the rest of the brand, um, the fonts and colors, um, and then the brand branding of the rest of the, the collateral. So sometimes that's done, that's done in the same time, and uh, sometimes it's after the fact. So that's really the process that I've, I've come to, to work with, and it works well. And... Yeah. You mentioned here about a revision phase where you would be making requested amends. And uh, from experience, I know that this is one area where things can go horribly wrong and uh, where a client could potentially ruin the work that you've done. Uh, So how are you going about handling bad feedback or amendments that could steer the design in the wrong direction? So. I'll never say there's bad feedback <laughs> uh, because I think there's always there's always some reason why a client wants something and they may not have the design background to to say this 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 is what I want um, exactly but they they're trying to like move you in a different position and I think that's sometimes that's sometimes good for the creative process because you're going to explore something that you weren't going to before you you may read it and be like that's not going to work that's that's a terrible idea but maybe just give it a go and see see what comes from it and you can show them what you did uh, and you can also show them what you, you recommend and talk about why yours, why yours is better for the goals of the business versus their direction. End of the day, they may, they may like their version, but if they're happy, I think Aaron Jepplin was actually saying the same thing. If they're happy about it, then like they're happy. Um, you can, you can talk to them about it as much as you like uh, saying otherwise, but if it's working for them, go for it. Um, that's Okay. And yeah, the ego thing comes into it as well, but you have to brush that off. But in terms of dealing with that feedback, that's that's what I've found to, to do is to show them what they're suggesting as well as your own. I agree. This is this is good advice. And it's, it's how I deal um, with this too. Like in the past, uh, in this situation, I've made the requested changes. But I've also presented an alternative um, version that kind of addresses the issue that they had, um, but is a better solution than what they suggested. And I found in almost all situations, I've been able to steer the project in the right direction uh, by taking this approach. I don't know if that's been the same for you. Uh, mo- most often, yeah, uh, definitely. There's, there's always discrepancies. That was a long word. Uh, but in the end of the day, like I was saying before, if they're happy, then that's okay. Um, but yeah, most of the time they do go the other direction, especially if you're selling it right. And often that may need, may, may need a little bit more work, like putting up in context or um, showing the rest of the, how it works with the rest of the brand uh, and so forth. So at the end of the day, it's worth it if you can do that. For sure. Now, we got a little bit more time than expected, so I'd love to discuss uh, one other area, if if you don't mind. Now, I know with your blog and um, social channels that you do a lot of affiliate marketing. 
And for listeners who are not familiar with this, basically affiliate marketing is where you share a link to a product and anyone that follows that link and uh, buys something, uh, you basically make a, a percent, you, you take a percentage of that sale. And I, I know, Jacob, this has allowed you to make a passive income from your blog and social channels. Could you talk through how you've been able to make a success of affiliate marketing? Yeah, definitely. And it's only been in the past probably two years that I've been doing more affiliate marketing like, uh, and actually focusing in on that. And the reason for that is because I wanted to supplement my travels and um, make money passively, if you will, um, by affiliate marketing. I had, I had a newsletter subscriber base uh, from having a blog for a few years and I needed to start actually paying for the hosting costs and the newsletter costs and um, which people don't, don't often think about, but it can add up quite a lot. So the affiliate marketing, it, it helps subsidize that. And it's, it's also, it's a win-win for everyone really, because the, the people that are buying, like I recommend things like fonts and design packages and courses. And these are all things that are, are going to help other designers and it doesn't come out of extra cost to them. They're getting a good deal. Uh, and I get a little cut, cut from it. So it is a win-win for everyone. And that's why I've, I've focused a little bit more on it. I think I'm going to explore different options this year and maybe work on other methods of getting actual more subscribers because it's kind of plateauing now, I've, I've noticed. So um, that's going to be a goal for this year. But in terms of affiliate marketing, it's it's been more successful than I, than I thought. And just reading other people and... Um, like Pat Flynn, for example, how, how much money he makes just from one certain area, um, like selling Bluehost sites or I'm recommending web hosting or um, many, he's got many other strategies and he's making like uh, like 50,000 just from one area a month. So it's, it's pretty crazy. And it's, it's very inspiring. I'm nowhere near that level, but it's definitely, there's definitely potential. And um, I think the design industry appreciates the, the, the offers and the deals and the discounts. So yeah, it's win-win. So I can understand, how is it you're actually promoting the, the products? Like, are you just including links in blog posts? Um, or are you like writing about the, the product itself? Or are you doing something a little bit more strategic to maximize the income that you're making? Well, there's, there's different ways. I have a resources page on my site, which recommends different products, uh, courses and themes and things like that. And that's one avenue. Another avenue is through email marketing, which is the uh, most successful way because people, when people subscribe to your email subscriber list, they, they trust you more. And that's a big thing with affiliate marketing. It's all about trust. I don't ever recommend a product that is that I wouldn't use myself. It's all it's always something that I find valuable, and I think other people are going to get great value from. So that's kind of my mantra. And in terms of other intelligent ways, uh, I. I'm not doing anything crazy. It's really just recommending products through my email subscriber list. Um, I have a couple of partners that I work with, such as Design Cuts, which offer incredible value bundle deals, and designers lap, lap, lap that up. And um, that's that's one avenue. Online courses, um, such as Skillshare or Udemy, uh, these are all things that further improve a designer's career. So these have been successful for me. Um, there's also other avenues, which what Pat Flynn uses is like recommending, um, like how to make a website or how to make a blog and give a tutorial on how to do that. And then inside that, they have a link for like Bluehost or 
some themes or whatever it may be. And uh, Bluehost and other web hosting platforms, they, they pay out big for these big companies. And every subscriber or every new sign-up, they're getting hundreds of dollars. So it's, it's very lucrative if you can get it, crack into that market. But there's a lot of competition as well. And that, what has worked for me has been the, the email list and writing certain articles and um, doing it. I've been doing it quite regularly, actually, maybe once or twice a week, which may be a little too much. So I may drop that back a bit or explore other avenues. It's always about trying new things. So. For sure. Um, testing and trying things is definitely important because I've, I've learned from doing these uh, interviews and talking with different people that there's not just one way to do these things. So it's definitely worth um, trying uh, different things. So I have one last question for you. If you could give just one logo design tip, what would that be? One logo design tip. Simplify as much as you can. And that goes with a lot of design. Um, a lot of designers, they'll try to fit too many things in, too many concepts into one idea, really draw it back to the simplest thing. And it's important to remember that a logo is there simply to identify. It's not there to communicate what a business does. And that's the biggest thing I see in uh, amateur logo designers is trying to communicate what the business does in a logo. And like Apple doesn't show computers or iPhones in their logo. Cars don't show cars in their logo. And that's, yeah, try to avoid that avenue and um, like avoid monograms. Like if as a first idea, that's another big mistake. And like just creative, they put a J and a C together. It's like, Yes, it's uh, one way to do it, but it's, it's not always right. So um, that's kind of an extended long one tip. It's a brilliant tip though. So thank you. So Jacob, thank you so much for being on the show. You've been, you've been an amazing guest and um, I, I appreciate you being so open with your responses. So thank you very much. Thank you. Another incredible interview. Jacob, thank you so much for being an amazing guest and for openly sharing so many valuable insights with us. To learn more about Jacob, visit his website, justcreative.com. Now in this episode, we discuss so many resources and um, insights. So make sure you check out the show notes for this episode and they can be found at logogeek.uk forward slash 2.5. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to uh, chat about it with myself, Jacob and over 3,000 other logo designers, you must join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. We have active discussions every single day and I honestly believe it's become the best place to discuss logo design with other designers from around the world. If you're interested, it's totally free. All you need to do is visit logogeek.uk forward slash community now if you're a fan of the podcast make sure you subscribe and if possible i'd really appreciate a rating and review um, which helps me to reach more awesome designers like yourself so thank you so much for listening i really appreciate you and i'll see you next time